Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we are discussing Chapter 24 of Order of the Phoenix, Occlumency. And, you know, I was thinking this morning, it's it's crazy that we never got this far in Order of the Phoenix, because this is such a critical chapter. Mm, it's huge. And I assume we had some discussion at some point about legitimacy and occlumency, but we've never actually discussed the chapter, so that's cool. Right. And we also have some muggle mail this week, but first, a couple news items. Just want to say thank you to everybody who attended our second Quizage Live, The Fandom of Secrets. Congratulations to Danny, our first place winner. Runner-ups were Gavin, Snailbump, Janeth, Gina, Josie, Adrian, Jeff, Lauren, Jamie, EJ, and uh, many others. So congratulations. It was a lot of fun. We had around 600 people playing, and this game, I think, went smoother technically than the first, so that's good. Mm, Definitely. Definitely. It was a lot of fun, and uh, seeing how many people came out for it while hosting it, and I gotta say, Andrew and Lauren, nice job on those questions. Aw, thanks. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. It was like a trip down memory lane. If you want to watch the trivia game, you can. You can watch the replay. We have it on MuggleCast.com, so feel free to watch it at your leisure. That'll help you kill about 90 minutes of quarantine time. And we hope to do another Quizage Live in the weeks ahead. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a new thing we're going to keep doing because they're just so much fun and everybody seems to really like them. And whether or not quarantine is happening, I think it's just a new feature of MuggleCast. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I did hear, though, that the next one may move to the weekend. Is that true? Can you confirm or deny that? Uh, Yes. The rumor mill is suggesting that the next Quizage Live may be over the weekend to accommodate more people, and we would do it earlier in the day so some of our international listeners can participate. I know these have been late for the international people. So yeah, yeah, we will try to do that earlier in the day on a weekend. I did see one person in the comments very early on when we started. They were saying, oh, it's 128 a.m. in South Africa. So whoever that person was, kudos to you for staying up and, and doing Quizage. Absolutely. As Eric said, you guys did an amazing job with those questions. I thought when I had the first one and I got it right, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to do great on this. But then those questions started coming and I was like, wow, <laughs> I really need to brush up on my uh, fandom trivia. <laughs> I'm yeah, a big we- fan. <laughs> we had some obscure information in there for sure. But it just feels so good to do our own trivia game because we go to these ones at the bars in Chicago. Eric and I go to them and they're just, they're fine, but they're not done by fans. Right. We're fans. We know our stuff. So we're doing these right, I feel. Yeah. We're taking over. That's right. How about some good news? We all need some good news right now, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Rupert Grint is expecting his first child. What? Aww. With his longtime girlfriend, Georgia Groom. Oh. Oh, that's wonderful. That's so sweet. Congratulations to these two. I bet a lot of girls who grew up watching the Harry Potter films are jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen I've seen posts that are like crying facing my husband. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to mention it because this is the first of the trio to have a child. So they're having like a little little wizard baby. Kind now, of. <laughs> who do you think is going to be the godfather of this child? Do you think Dan Radcliffe is up to the task? Hmm. Good question. Do you think Rupert will ask him? I mean, because that's what let's just get all obsessed talking baby stuff. Be like <laughs> talking gossip. All that like he's going to grow up. This kid's going to grow up 
with uh, an a- Auntie Emma and Uncle Dan, right? Like, that's just, we know already. I guess it depends on how close Dan, Rupert, and Emma still are these days. Do they keep in mm-hmm. touch? If they don't, then he might not be the godfather. Maybe it'd be Tom Felton. Because <laughs> don't Rupert and Tom mm-hmm. hang out? Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say, a lot of times, the relationships that form, the friendships, they may not always be between the the characters that spend the most time together Mm. on screen right 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 true they're just playing other people um apparently rupert and his girlfriend georgia have been together since 2011 i didn't know they had been together for so long so oh well good for them not that it was any of our business but he told the guardian in 2018 he said i'd like to settle down and have kids soon and he said if i had a son would i call him ron it's quite a good name but probably not (laughs) <laughs> and Grint's a tough name to pair a one-syllable first name with. Um, we could probably guess, but I think he's thinking that his kid, boy or girl, will have a uh, more than one-syllable name. Ron Grint. George Grint. Oh. James Grint. I hope. How about Fred? Little Grim. Fred Grint. Fred lives on. Fred Weasley lives <laughs> oh, on. You know, I think it's possible he might want to give his child a non-Harry Potter name. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> but it's fun because we all have those uh, sort of hesitations about our own last names. Like my last name I have problems with. <laughs> Skull. Yeah. That's, that's Why? Your last name's cool. I mean, it's cool like one month out of the year. Okay. <laughs> nah. Halloween year round, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Laura's goth. She yes. she would love the name Skull. It's a badass last name, Eric. You should be proud <laughs> of it. Let's trade last names, Laura. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mine's real boring. You can have it. If if Laura said, I love your last name, Eric, back 10 years ago, everybody would have started shipping Laura and Eric, I think. Yep. <laughs> oh, Jesus. People, listen, I got shipped with all of y'all at some point. Yeah, there's fanfic. I almost... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or fi- real fic? What do they call that when it's real life? Oh, I don't know. Uh, nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a name very for, good, for fanfic good. with real people. But yeah. On to Muggle Mail now. This is from Emily. I decided to get out and take a walk while listening to the latest episode. I live near a huge cemetery and was walking through during the part where you mentioned that J.K. Rowling got Lockhart's name from a war memorial just after that. I passed a mausoleum with the name Lockhart on it. I thought this was a creepy coincidence and wanted to share it with you all. I think I'll just pretend from now on that this cemetery in Pennsylvania is where she got the idea. Um, Whoa. Yeah, that's creepy. (laughs) That is. It's very meta. She included a photo. Yeah. And this is huge. (laughs) Wow. I wonder if Gilderoy is actually in there. What are the chances that that happens the moment you're listening to the podcast? You're out on a walk and you just happen to see something very similar to what J.K. Rowling happened upon, except you're in Pennsylvania. It's got to be a million in one. Not in Scotland. Maybe she Maybe did. it's a confoundable. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just appeared out of nowhere. Catch it. <laughs> Our next piece of feedback is a voicemail. Hello, MuggleCast. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. My name is Yasmin, and I just wanted to respond to something Andrew said at the beginning of episode 460. When discussing what the quiz questions would be like for the Quizich Live Fandom of Secrets event, Andrew said that an example of a question may be, where did J.K. Rowling reveal that Dumbledore is gay? 
Though I understand that the answer to this question would be Carnegie Hall, I would like to posit that technically there is a different answer. On YouTube, it's possible to watch the documentary J.K. Rowling, A Year in the Life, which followed J.K. Rowling through the year prior to finishing Deathly Hallows. At just after the 32-minute mark, the interviewer asks if Charlie is gay, to which Rowling says no, but that Dumbledore is gay. Though this documentary was not really released until December of 2007, after the Carnegie event happened in October, I believe, uh, the interviewer in question happened prior to the Carnegie event. I often use this documentary as a response to those who say that Rowling retconned Dumbledore as gay after the books were published to get woke points. Though Rowling has been problematic with issues within the queer community, I think this documentary is definitive proof that she had always viewed Dumbledore as gay and that that informed her writing of him. Thanks for all you guys do, and I look forward to your next podcast. Bye. That is a really interesting observation. Thank you, Yasmin, mm-hmm. for sharing. What a strong reporter for not leaking that immediately to everybody yeah. everywhere, because that was a scoop then. Yeah. Well, I have the clip. Let's listen to this moment from J.K. Rowling, A Year in the Life. Born on the anniversary of the battle that finished it all, uh, which is the 2nd of May, if anyone's been paying attention. And then Charlie had children or married. Is he gay? Dumbledore's gay. But I told I told a reader that once, and I thought she was going to slap me. But I always saw Dumbledore as gay. Um, no, I don't think Charlie's gay. Just more interested in dragons than women. Uh, <laughs> is is the initial reveal here to that reader that she told all those years ago? That would be the very first time, I guess. Yeah, and I wonder, yeah. did she like see this person out on the street and she was like, oh, by the way, Dumbledore's gay. Like, how did that come up in conversation? Maybe the person was asking if Dumbledore ever fell in love or Let's interview like that. that person. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you not like what J.K. Rowling had to say to you? Anyway, in Quizage Live, we recommended watching A Year in the Life. And again, I want to recommend that. This A Year in the Life documentary it follows J.K. Rowling around the release of Deathly Hallows. And it's really, really good, including when she finished writing the book. And you can watch this on YouTube. And we'll include a link in this week's show notes. Please, Micah. Absolutely. As soon as you send it to me, I'll go in the show notes. <laughs> Before we get started with Chapter by Chapter, this week's episode of MuggleCast is sponsored by Wondery's Imagined Life Podcast. I told you about them around a year ago, and I'm still really fascinated by this show. On each episode of Imagined Life, you'll step into the shoes of someone you know who has faced great adversity in their life. The fun of this podcast is when you start the episode, you don't know who the episode is about. But as you listen, you're learning about this person, about their life, about their ups and downs, and getting clues. And the answer is revealed at the very end of each episode. I will spoil one episode because it'll be of major interest to our listeners. Imagined Life did an episode on J.K. Rowling. And I'll give you a hint where you can find it. It's one of Imagined Life's first episodes. The podcast has music, sound effects. It really immerses you in the subject's life. Not only is each episode a game of sorts, but it's also an awesome history lesson on some of the most influential people in our lives. Check out Imagined Life from Wondery on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And do enjoy. This is a great podcast for quarantine life. All right, let's move on now to chapter by chapter. And this week we are discussing chapter 24, Occlumency, in Order of the Phoenix. And we'll start with our seven word summary. Ready when you are, Laura. Yep. Harry's journey back into his mind fails. 
<laughs> I, I mean, it's accurate. actually that works. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. I, I was trying to beat the music. Yes. Because uh, I thought we were getting very close <laughs> yeah. on time there. We had we we seconds left. All right. So, Andrew, you touched on this at the top of the episode, but I don't think we've ever ventured into Occlumency really all that much in the course of this show. And that's saying something, considering we've been around for 15 years. Yeah. And uh, we'll get to that. But the chapter starts out with Harry really not wanting to go back to Hogwarts. And he kind of goes through a list in his mind of all the things that are awaiting him there. You know, he obviously can't play Quizit or Quidditch. Sorry. See what's <laughs> happening now? Quidditch is taking over. Um, but really the only thing he is looking forward to is the meetings for Dumbledore's army. And I was just thinking, have we ever been in this situation ourselves before where we're going back to school? Maybe it's going back to college. And there's only one or two things that we're really looking forward to. Nope. I loved school. I always was <laughs> oh, very... Oh, wow. Lucky. All right, I Hermione. Always, okay. I was always very lucky excited you. to come back. Hermione, indeed. <laughs> there were bad years where I didn't want to go back, for sure, after break or really had nothing nothing except some friends that I see the most at school, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. There were some elements of school I enjoyed, but I mainly... I think it was more about summer ending. It was just always sad when summer was ending. It was more that than dreading going back to school mm -hmm. you're telling me that y'all weren't excited about going like school supply shopping uh no that was fun that was so sad <laughs> that was so sad uh, i love getting all of my stuff together for the first day of school I, I didn't i didn't realize hermione was guest hosting today's podcast <laughs> <laughs> how was your latest ski Damn. trip hermione <laughs> I was a lot less prone to abide by the rules than she was, but uh, mm -hmm. I did enjoy school. Mm -hmm. Do we think there could be a little bit of PTSD going on here for Harry going back to school? Obviously, a lot of bad things have happened with Umbridge, but I'm thinking of the last thing that happened when he was at Hogwarts was he attacked Mr. Weasley. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's been a bad first half of the year, so I can see why he doesn't want to go back. Well, and he's he's also thinking about the fact that he's going to be back under Umbridge's tyrannical thumb, right? So she's made the first half of his fifth year pretty miserable. And he doesn't want to leave Sirius either, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has a bad feeling about that, in fact. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Ugh. But somebody who is actually quite happy at the beginning of this chapter, and I think it's worth mentioning, is Creature. Creature has been found. Yeah. And in a better mood, right? A slightly better mood. Oh, he's like, yeah, house elf high for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he and and Sirius doesn't think anything of it now that creature is back. But Harry actually has his suspicions, and of course, this all Harry's suspicions will be right as we learn later. Absolutely, and and Harry is just trying to relax before he goes back to Hogwarts. And what could put him in a better mood than to find out that Professor Snape is down in the kitchen waiting to speak with him. And and Harry does like a double take on this. <laughs> yeah. Because he, he's, first of all, just, I think, shocked that Snape is even at Grimmauld Place, much less wanting to speak with him. And uh, Harry comes downstairs. And the way that I always envisioned this was, and, and I think it's actually described this way, is that Snape is at one end of the table, Sirius is at the other. And Harry sits down next to his godfather, and uh, it's a pretty nasty exchange between the two of them, not surprising. Mm -hmm. What gives here? Yeah, this this was a good fight. They both have some jabs that really land. 
And I did find it immature overall. We get why there's this animosity between the two. Um, Sirius had almost killed Snape, so we can see why <laughs> there's some anger there. Um, but the insults are really good. I just, I just wish... I'm reading the scene. I'm just thinking to myself, did you have to do this in front of the kid in a in a home filled with lots of other people right now? Like, take this out on the street. Do it somewhere in private. Yeah, I mean, definitely in regards to Sirius, um, he never really got to grow beyond this because in his very young adult life, he was carted off to Azkaban. So he never got those maturing years that he would have gotten otherwise. And I think Snape also lost that time to serving Voldemort. So I I would say both of them were probably pretty emotionally stunted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just this meeting goes off uh, the rails pretty quickly. You know, Snape says to Harry, sit down, Potter and Sirius is like, don't give my godson orders. This is my house. And Snape's like, but I'm here on Dumbledore's orders, like, which supersedes everything else. And, And it really should. But the two of them... We're just never meant to like one another, it seems. Right. I think, Andrew, when you were talking about the bad blood that exists between the two of them, it, it's really just an opportunity for Snape to one-up Sirius in front of Harry in, in his own home. Yeah. Where where Sirius is, you know, has grown up. And I also think it's a bit of showmanship on the part that Dumbledore is entrusting Snape with this major responsibility of teaching Harry occlumency. Yeah. And Sirius is just kind of sitting at home twiddling his thumbs. And I think a lot of what happens here drives Sirius to do things later on in this book because there is this feeling we felt not just with Snape in this moment, we've seen it throughout the course of this book where Sirius just feels as if there's nothing that he can do that can be that's helpful to Harry or maybe even to the order. Yeah. Snape definitely calls that out. And I think that's really the fatal blow here is he's goading Sirius about wanting to feel involved and feeling like he's important or can do something, anything to help. And it might be that Snape is reading this right off of Sirius's face. It might be that he's reading his mind subtly, but he absolutely nails what the problem is. And if he, if this occurrence had not happened, if this interaction had not occurred between the two of them, I don't think that it would even be in Harry's mind that something like what Voldemort sends him could happen, that Sirius would just venture out and get himself in trouble. Uh, but this scene definitely sets that up, I think. Should Dumbledore have foreseen something like this potentially goading Sirius into dangerous behavior and therefore said you know what Harry's going to be back at Hogwarts tomorrow why doesn't Snape just let him know about this tomorrow like why does he need to go visit Grimmauld Place on the last Sunday that Harry's going to be there or the last Saturday it's a great question Mm -hmm. well setting aside the fact that this is just great from a reader perspective um, maybe Dumbledore wanted a fight. Maybe he wanted them to duke it out. <laughs> or maybe he was hopeful they would set their differences aside and maybe uh, smooth things over between them. Mm-hmm. Maybe he envisioned Snape coming to Grimwald Place and Snape would say what he had to say to Harry and then Sirius or Snape would say, hey, let's uh, let's have some uh, tea and what are those things called? Uh, crumpets? Biscuits. Biscuits. Yeah, biscuits. crumpets, biscuits. Let's sit down and let's patch things up. <laughs> 
We sound so cultured, by the way. <laughs> what do they eat over there? The the other thing is that Hogwarts, biscuits. Hogwarts is no longer his own strictly. I think they're they're gonna have to do this. If they do it at Hogwarts, they have to do it under Umbridge's watchful eye, right? Doesn't even Snape say you cannot tell anyone, especially Umbridge, about this. Um, right. So that could be a good reason yeah, to do it. Yeah, they've invented this cover story. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's where your uh, Quizich question comes in, Eric, about remedial potions. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, we'll get to that later, but um, so I think that's why uh, he does it. But I think Dumbledore, for the most part, is completely mishandled his treatment of Harry. We've talked about, but also his treatment of Sirius. People are going to lash out if they're cooped up, if they have nothing to do, if they're bored. They're going to try and pass this time, and Dumbledore has not given Sirius. I mean, you can give him like a little research mission that can be done at the house like or give them some of your your crossword puzzles or something like just keep the mind active serious i think is probably feeling the same level of neglect from dumbledore that harry is and it's actually a remarkable testament to his strength that it took him all year to actually leave yeah agreed there's your there's your counterpoint there. And I also think it's to set up Harry for going back to Hogwarts. We already talked about how he is really not looking forward to it. This just adds another layer to the fact that he needs to be taking these lessons with Snape of all people. And we'll we'll get into it in a little bit, but the fact that Snape is penetrating his mind is is just to me it's next level and I don't understand why Dumbledore allows it to happen, but he does. Um Two other points here that you had, Andrew, about Snape referring to Sirius as a coward. We all know how important that one word is in the next book Mm -hmm. um, as it relates to Snape. So funny that he would feel empowered to refer to Sirius in that way. And he also, or actually Sirius refers to Snape as Lucius's lapdog. (laughs) And that brings up the conversation about how Sirius was found out right. on the platform earlier this this semester this year. So Right. That was really mistake. clever. That's that's why I love this fight. There's so many good jabs back and forth. Well, speaking of dogs, Lucius saw you as a dog, you dummy. <laughs> right. Well, the Weasley show up and that puts a stop to the fight and I just thought it was really odd that Snape gets that one line in right before he leaves telling Harry, remember to show up at this time on Monday. It's just very Snape. Like, <laughs> like okay. he's got, no, like, hey, I've got information that probably the, the rest of the people who just walked in here have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, we get to the point where Harry and the rest of the kids are are getting ready to go get on the night bus and head back to Hogwarts. And uh, there's a great quote here uh, about Harry and how he's feeling saying goodbye to Sirius. It says, Harry had an unpleasant, constricted sensation in his chest. He did not want to say goodbye to Sirius. He had a bad feeling about this parting. He didn't know when they would see each other, and he felt it was incumbent upon him to say something to Sirius to stop him doing anything stupid. Yeah. Should we have known? Ah, well... You have to read between the lines of every little thing that J.K. Rowling says. And yeah, I think we should have known. Maybe we did. I can't remember if I thought that reading this for the first time. But what also stood out to me was that in their last moments here, J.K. Rowling says that Sirius smiled grimly. And of course, the grim is a death omen. 
And so he smiles grimly at Harry and then he says, take care of yourself. And it's a it's a good goodbye. We just didn't know it was a right. goodbye. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that J.K. Rowling's been setting Sirius up to die ever since she introduced him. I mean, his animagus form looks like a grim. Right. Yeah. He was born to die. Isn't that a Lana oh. Del Rey song? <laughs> born to die. God. Yeah. It doesn't make it right, though. I just I wish that there had been more to Sirius than I mean, she essentially puts him through the ringer of jk rowling making him suffer all year before finally killing him and it's just i i feel like she done my man dirty <laughs> well he's your favorite character right he is my favorite character and i think that probably still holds up i mean he was my aol screen name forever ago but mm, I, right. I i like i like that he doesn't actually leave the house harry only thinks that he does but all of this worrying uh, that Harry is doing, no doubt, feeds into Voldemort and probably gives Voldemort the plan on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and that ties into the fact that Harry makes the decision, Sirius gifts him something that he doesn't open at this time. But Harry says in his mind, he's never going to utilize it because he doesn't want to put Sirius in danger. However, if he had only used it, Sirius never would have die yeah. probably not in this way mm-hmm. this is this is jk rowling kicking all of us while we're down <laughs> mm-hmm. totally the mirror that could have been used to say like could have solved so many things all along mm-hmm. and would immediately get around all of umbridge's defenses doesn't get used like ah uh, it just hurts yeah but that's also classic jk rowling she's leaving this groundwork that comes into play later mm-hmm. this is something that you might gloss over when you're reading it the first time or maybe even the second time then you find out how it comes into play and it's like whoa she dropped that early yeah well and you can't really blame harry can you i mean sirius has shown time and again that if the door to irresponsibility is cracked open he'll come bursting through it every single time right so actually i think harry is being really responsible here and doing what any of us would do if we had the same prior knowledge that he did. For sure. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. And you think about just how Umbridge almost nabbed Sirius. I mean, yeah, there's no way he should risk that type of thing happening again. Right. So they leave the house. Sirius has seen Harry for the last time outside of the Department of Mysteries. And they decide to take the night bus. Do you guys know on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, he does this segment from time to time. How is this still a thing? Oh, <laughs> I was thinking that when reading about the night bus. How is the night bus still a thing? The seats and the personal belongings are flying all over because the vehicle is being driven really fast and it's coming to these screeching halts and accelerating really rapidly. Everybody's getting sick. Ron was all excited to ride it for the first time, and then by the not even a few minutes into the ride, he was over it and uh, wishing he could get off. Why does the night bus exist? This doesn't sound helpful. This sounds like a, a miserable trip. Andrew, when I was reading this, I thought of you, and I imagined, I heard your voice in my head saying, the night bus is a transportation nightmare. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but also... It is stated in Prisoner of Azkaban that it's transportation, emergency transportation for the lost or stranded wizard. Okay. So I think it's, you know, intentionally a bit off kilter because of 
some of the situations it might be recovering people out of. Oh, okay. So there's like an urgency. So they have to speed up and slow down really fast, maybe. But I don't know. I feel like this could still be a more pleasant ride. Yeah, I I think that they absolutely could probably do something to soften around the edges, but I just always see the night bus as a uh, a strict takedown of all public transit. Um, you know, in major cities, especially if you get on the bus and there's always something going wrong on the bus, either it's too loud or it's too crowded. There's too many people or it's too slow. You always have these problems, right? And sudden stops and sudden starts is pretty much the game. And muggle buses have the seats drilled into the floor. Maybe the night bus should at least do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that yeah. doesn't matter. I had an experience on a New York City bus one time where the bus driver came to such an abrupt halt that it threw all of us from our seats. I mean, multiple people <laughs> yeah. fell to the floor. So actually, I I agree with Eric here that I think this is sort of like an exaggerated version of what we all deal with anyway. Yeah. Or the subway. I mean, the subway is like that, too, especially in New York. If you Mm -hmm. get a conductor who doesn't really know what he or she is doing and they realize in the split second that they need to stop the train and it's in the middle of actually moving. I have had a very similar experience to what Laura just said on the bus where everybody literally goes flying even if they're sitting down or holding on to a pole because they're just not expecting it. But I, I just think this part of the magical world, though I do wonder why the magic is not utilized to at least make it a little bit smoother of a ride for most people. Right. I just want to see everybody have a comfortable ride, or at least a little more comfortable. Also, apparently, you can bump up uh, yourself on the queue as far as destination by just bribing the, the driver, <laughs> <laughs> which is that's something I want to see implemented in actual public transit. If I can just jump down the train line for an extra hundred oh, pounds why not? Uh, right. or whatever. Or if you're, if you're on a school bus, because sometimes oh, you're yeah. unfortunately <laughs> one of the last people to be dropped off. You, your school bus ride is like an hour. I would love to bribe my school bus driver to drop me off first. <laughs> Do you still ride the school bus, Andrew? Yeah. No judgment on this show. <laughs> you know what no I mean. Judgment. Back in the day. It's okay, Andrew. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it was very cool to see it come to life in, in Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie. But I do agree. It's a uh, really uh, questionable form of transportation. But I guess really the magic is in the fact that it can get you really quickly from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's not as monitored as the right this whole book's about like who's watching who and mm-hmm. all that kind of a thing. But the, the thing that uh, came to my mind was that I had forgotten that they ride the night bus in book five. And book five actually also came out before the third movie. So I was thinking, wow, JK Rowling either provided or probably knew about Uh, the fact that they were bringing the night bus to life right around the same time she was writing this. Um, And I'm imagining that both scenes, you know, the the ones in book three and the ones in book five were probably utilized to really bring the night bus to life. Uh, Because I don't know that the original scene is as hectic or frantic specifically as it is in this chapter. So I figured maybe they both... Uh, had influence on how it showed up in the, the third film. And Stan Shunpike is not a Death Eater yet. Yet. As far as we know. Mm-hmm. And there's no shrunken heads on this mm-hmm. version of the Night Bus either. Interesting. I think that was just a movieism 
Right. Well, that was, as we know, an Alfonso Cuaron touch. Yep. Because why not? Take it away, Ern. Uh, take it away, Ern. <laughs> so we make our way to Hogwarts, finally. The night bus is able to pull into Hogsmeade. They get off and walk up to the castle. And uh, you know things start up as normal as they can. And there's this very brief moment between Cho and, and Harry. Um, and uh, they're, they're trying to make some plan. At least Cho is trying to drop some hints to Harry <laughs> about um, Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harry, I think, is just – and Laura, look, I'm not trying to give him a mulligan here, but I think he's so distracted with everything that's been going on, particularly focused on his lessons with Snape, that he's not really picking up on what she's uh, throwing out there. But he does come through in the end, doesn't he? Yeah. No, and actually, I, I agree here. I think that for a teenage boy, Harry actually caught on really quickly here. Um Having had the experience of being a teenage girl and trying to drop these kinds of hints to boys that I liked, uh, it never went this way. <laughs> it was usually like straight over their head. And that moment where Cho was walking away all disappointed does not get interrupted by the guy suddenly realizing what it is you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, he did He did good here. <laughs> good job, Harry. Well, Harry just didn't have a have time to check the notice board with being so distracted but isn't it the most ravenclaw thing ever that joe is back one day and has already checked and caught up on her notice board that she knows about the hogsmeade weekend Mm -hmm. very ravenclaw of course Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) very very well done on harry's part and it is like you said laura typical teenage awkwardness happening here but good on harry at least he's able to get something positive out of this chapter because it's about to go to hell from this point forward. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to shout out to J.K. Rowling though because she really does a good job at this awkwardness, right? And and this it's just a misunderstanding or a failure of communication. And I think that this happens between. I mean, it's it's happened to me uh, much more recently than my teenage years of trying to communicate with somebody that you like, and it's just it's never easy. Mm-hmm. It's never as easy as it should be. Absolutely. Yeah. Nope. You've got to find somebody who understands and appreciates your own personal level of awkwardness. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why dating is hard. Right. Yeah. Like the four yeah. of us, we all appreciate each other's awkwardness. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm not awkward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andrew. No? Yes? We're all we're all a little awkward. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, we are. All right. So let's talk about <laughs> a clumency. Speaking of awkwardness, speaking of penetrating people's minds, and uh, one thing I wanted to start out talking about is that Snape is really the one to give Harry the information that Dumbledore and the rest of the Order have chose not to. Whether Mm -hmm. directly or indirectly, he is giving Harry more than what Harry has learned probably in the last several months. And I found this really interesting that it's snape that's doing it yep yeah i mean after reading this chapter for this show i've uh, you know again uh i've concluded that i'm pro snape this chapter <laughs> um it's it's difficult it's really difficult because he goads serious and he goads harry and he does not make it easy but snape is the most forthcoming uh with all of this information like you're saying and he lo- he tells it to harry if harry's not listening or if harry's not ready to interpret the information that's kind of on harry there are things he could do to be softening the blows 
But Snape is ultimately laying on the line why it's important to be having these lessons and sort of even a, a timeline of events as such that nobody else is giving him. Mm-hmm. Right. And we learn that Voldemort was possessing Nagini and therefore so was Harry. And I thought that was a big reveal because for this last couple of weeks for Harry, he's been thinking that he was directly possessing right. Nagini. But in fact, it was Voldemort. Right. And Harry was inside of Voldemort's mind. So Harry was basically two minds removed from Nagini. I, I don't know how that works. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, that was a big piece of information. And then also after the first, let's call it penetration by Snape, Harry deduces that the door, the corridor that that he's been seeing all year is in fact the Department of Mysteries. And he throws his information out to Snape and Snape kind of does a bit of a double take. Yeah. I was actually surprised how Snape reacted in this moment. Like he actually cared about something that Harry was feeling. Normally you don't see him care so much. Right. It's so interesting when you get into his, his head or the fact that Snape sees like when it's happening when harry's brain makes the connection he lets go of the the spell he's like wait what was that um because he you can kind of feel the emotions as they're happening and both characters are forced to witness their like the memories spilling out or snape's only getting flashes or something but it it all feels different i mean we're just experiencing a man in his in his prime here with Snape. You're never going to get a better teacher than Snape to teach you this. One does not exist. Right. But let's talk about that because I have a bit of a problem with a 30-something-year-old teacher penetrating the mind of a 15-year-old teenager (laughs) who, by the way, just has the utmost disdain for Harry's dad, for Harry for anybody in Harry's circle. Mm-hmm. So I want to know what in the world is Dumbledore thinking here? Well, Dumbledore's thinking Snape's the best. So, yeah, I agree with that. But who else to do it? Dumbledore? Because Dumbledore is even older than Snape. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a 110-year-old penetrating a 15-year-old's mind. There's no good answer here, I think, yeah. is the problem. But this is Mm -hmm. just the cards that they've been dealt. And this is just what has to be done. I also wonder if Dumbledore is viewing these lessons as sort of like a conduit for giving Harry this information. Because we know Harry has a lot of questions. We know that he wants to ask Dumbledore these questions. I could very much see him telling Snape, yo, like, please make sure that he understands that he was not possessing the snake, Voldemort was, and there, ergo, he was also in the snake with Voldemort, um, and like really helping to establish that connection between the two of them, because Dumbledore probably doesn't want to be the one telling Harry these things and potentially risk Voldemort seeing that Dumbledore knows. Right. That's a great point. And and I will get to something that Snape says later, I think, that makes him the perfect teacher for this. And and I'm not arguing that. I, I do believe that he is the best equipped to do this. However, the fact that he's not approaching this with probably the, the practiced hand from, from a compassionate standpoint, somebody like Dumbledore probably would be a little bit more 
are a little less aggressive than Snape is. And, and yeah. I look at the fact that Snape does this three times to Harry, right? We see it three times in this chapter where he's penetrating his mind. And we know the effects that this has from later on in the chapter. To me, this would be the equivalent of of taking a novice boxer, right? Who has very little to no experience and you're putting them in the ring three times against a pro mm -hmm. and you're expecting him or her to be able to defend themselves appropriately. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Right. I think the the better question is because it seems like Snape was the only person who could do this. Why didn't Dumbledore say, hey, Snape, approach this calmly, teach him the right way. Don't let your feelings towards Harry and his father get in the way of teaching a good lesson here. Because half the problem with this first lesson is that Snape is telling Harry to, to calm down and control his mind. And Snape is aggravating Harry. Yeah. So Dumbledore should have given him a warning here about how to approach this. Because apparently Snape can't figure this out for himself. <laughs> I agree. Snape absolutely is using this opportunity to take his teaching style to the extreme because he has long known Harry sucks at potions. He has no attention to detail. And Snape feels vindicated now that this is something that Harry's going to really need to focus on if he wants to save his own self, his own sanity. He take, takes this to be justified in terms of Snape's sense of urgency He's just like, okay, now you're going to pay attention. You're going to get this. Yeah. And it does, it just, he's not giving Harry enough recovery time. Right. And he's not giving Harry enough examples of what it looks like to clear one's mind before immediately probing it again. Yeah. All Snape is saying is calm your mind, clear your head. And Harry, Harry doesn't have time to do that. And he wants more information on how to do this. And Snape is just not giving it to him. And it's also frustrating from a reader standpoint, because we want to know how to practice occlumency, but we can't. And I compare this to meditating, because anyone who's meditated knows that that is not easy to do, and certainly not quickly. And if you have one of these apps like Headspace, they have self-guided meditations available, and they're like 10 minutes long, and they'll be like in the meditation, calm your head, close your mind, just relax, feel the weight of your body. If your mind wanders... Bring the attention back to the body. Yeah, bring right? your attention to the body, to the breath. <laughs> if your mind wanders, that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Just refocus again. Snape is like, focus, focus, focus. Ah! Like he would be, <laughs> obviously... A terrible person to teach meditation. Yeah. yeah. I will say, to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, um, Harry is going to have to become adept at practicing this under situations of pressure. Um, there's never going to be a real-life scenario in which Voldemort's like, okay, do you need a minute? <laughs> do you need a minute to it's focus? It's totally cool. Totally cool. Take, take a couple of minutes, take some deep breaths, and then we'll come back to this. <laughs> and I think... That's where Snape is taking this. He's like, listen, kid, when you get out in the real world, there's going to be none of this like mamby pamby. Sit down and take a few breaths. You're and right. <laughs> really center yourself. You're right. Yourself. But for the first time, for the first time, cut him some slack. Yeah. Yeah. I, I compare this to, I know we wanted to start connecting threads in the middle of the chapter discussion. But if you look back at book three, when Lupin was teaching Harry how to do the Patronus charm, the Patronus charm is this incredibly special and experienced charm that no teenager can be really expected to do and certainly not well. And Harry doesn't do it 
com- you know, completely at first, and it even takes him a while. Eventually, he does master it, but it it's taxing on Harry's resources, right? It, with the Patronus, he's got to come up with a happy memory that's powerful enough, that's going to endure. And with Acclumency, he's got to really clear his mind and also understand what it feels like and witness what it feels like. I think this is what Snape is going for here. Harry has to get used to, kind of like he did with the Imperius curse, which is brought up, he has to get used to the feeling of somebody actively penetrating his mind so that he can push push back. Like He even produces, I think, a stinging jinx or something une- unexpectedly because he's telling Snape to like, get out or you can't see this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, he's got to get used to it so that he can guard against it. It's the same way with pretty much everything skilled. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Stakes are much higher. Yeah. And it makes me wonder too, when we were talking about Snape and, and whether or not he really relishes this opportunity early on, we see him taking memories from, his own mind and putting them in the pensive. And and I wonder why isn't Harry allowed to do that? If there are things that <laughs> he doesn't it's... want Snape to see. And, and I also wonder if Snape is removing maybe some happy memories. I think somebody had this a little bit later on potentially about Lily. Um, and yet he keeps in his own mind, his own worst memory and right. doesn't remove that. And I wonder if that is, you know, that is fueling him internally in a way. Like, does that make him even angrier? Like he moves whatever happy memories he has in his mind and leaves the negative ones. And that like is part of what he's channeling on Harry. We don't know if he's pulling the happy memories. I think he could be pulling a variety of things, possibly um, the pact that he made with Dumbledore, um, his memories of Lily, because he's afraid Harry might actually be able to penetrate his mind. Which is right. interesting because Snape is acting like there's no way he's going to be able to do this. Mm. I think he does believe in Harry a little bit. And I also find it rich that Snape is insulting Harry for being weak. There was this quote here. Fools who wear their hearts proudly on their sleeves, who cannot control their emotions, who wallow in sad memories, who allow themselves to be provoked this easily. Weak people, in other words, they stand no chance against his power. Yet Snape is removing his own memories from his mind just in case Harry breaks through any of Snape's weaknesses mm-hmm. right it's like dude hypocrite <laughs> i think i think actually now it, it's more to do with voldemort being able to see it should harry get through what snape has truly done so yes. to Eric's oh. point about the bond that he's formed between himself and dumbledore all right the, backhanded stuff that he's done in lying to Voldemort. And that comes up later, I think, when when Snape is talking about those that are practiced legilimens. I, I think um, that's right. But I think I think that's absolutely right. But I also think it's because Snape is afraid of Harry seeing his love for Lily. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, Harry's the guy who, again, about the Imperious Curse, is telling Barty Crouch Moody... Uh, no, you know, I don't think I will dance on the, the desk. I, I don't, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem, he's the, he like resists the imperious charm with like next to no skill well, at all whatsoever. And it, knowing this, and Snape brings this up, I think he's expecting to be completely floored and wowed by Harry hmm. um, and his ability to master this. And he's very disappointed, I think. And that allows him to be a little bit more provoked too. If, 
If he can resist the Vada Kedavra, I would hope he can resist the Imperius curse. <laughs> right. Different Just, circumstances. You know, that's like one level down. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I, I, the one other thing I just wanted to talk about with Snape is, and, and occlumency is, do we feel that it can be viewed as a form of mental rape? Because you're penetrating somebody's mind and you're getting to see all of their feelings, all of their memories that maybe they otherwise don't want you to know about. I, I definitely think that... If used improperly, this is absolutely a form of violation. And I think that the way Voldemort uses it is violation. Oh, absolutely. He's trying to suss out people who are going to betray him or are not being truthful. And he, I mean, look at what he did with Bertha Jorkins last year. He uncovers, uh, even breaks through a memory charm. And I don't even want to know how he really did that but it was through torturous means, no doubt. And yeah, this is a huge violation. Yeah. I also want to include this email from Yesh. They wrote in about this week's discussion. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Snape is not wrong when he berates Harry for not being able to control his feelings. As we saw in the last chapter, Harry's mood vanishes instantly when his friends are able to talk sense into him. Once he sees things rationally, he thinks more clearly. He makes better decisions. Even his mood improves. Although Snape treats Harry unfairly, he has a point calling Harry weak because he can't control his emotions or thoughts. In earlier chapters, Harry behaves almost inhumanely to his friends in the same way to others in later chapters. It makes him irrational, stupid, and sometimes, in my opinion, thoroughly unlikable. But then I also think it's unfair on Harry's part because he literally has no one to parent him to treat him honestly as a teenager or even understand his psychological position. Mm-hmm. It makes one realize how badly Hogwarts needs a school counselor. I mean, what about Ginny in Chamber of Secrets? Surely just some hot chocolate can't beat away that trauma. I also find it interesting that Snape says, fools who wear, because it sounds a lot like Snape talking about himself, especially in his time at Hogwarts with the Marauders or his feelings for Lily. It's probably the reason why Snape is so good at occupancy. Yeah. Just a thought. I like the idea that Snape is referring to himself. Mm-hmm at least his younger self, in terms of weakness. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, of course, he had feelings for Lily, but he believed that Dumbledore would be able to protect her. He placed all of his faith in other people, in Voldemort maybe not going after her because he asked him not to, in Dumbledore being able to protect her, etc., etc., And I think Snape saw, you know, what the effect of that was. And maybe he's talking a bit about himself when he mentions people wearing their heart on their sleeve. Mm. Wow. Mm. That's that's like such introspective, uh, Mm. such introspection on Snape's part. I just assumed he was making a crack at Gryffindor's. Uh, because they 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 they're very outwardly bold and actiony, and they have all their emotions up front, as opposed to like the more calm, calculating mm-hmm. uh, Slytherin slash Ravenclaw type stuff. Yeah, I think that's part of it too. But I think there could be some subtextual reading here. Yeah, I like that. Well, speaking of Snape referring to himself, there's a great quote here where he's talking about Voldemort. And he says, the Dark Lord almost always knows when somebody is lying to him. Only those skilled 
at occlumency are able to shut down those feelings and memories that contradict the lie and so utter falsehoods in his presence without detection. So this, to me, is a massive reveal that's just kind of spoken in passing by Snape because Snape is talking about himself. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Why is Snape teaching this lesson, Harry? He just told you he can lie to Voldemort's face and get away with it. Yep. Yeah. This is why I'm good, yo. I guess if Harry thought about this, which he clearly didn't, but if Harry thought about this, maybe he was like, ooh, maybe he's lying to Dumbledore. Oh my gosh, I figured it out. Oh. Harry would have argued that he was using these skills against Dumbledore, but... That's a really yeah, good this point. Is, this is a really big reveal, and it's a shame that Harry doesn't think on it at all. I'm trying to remember if this, like, really empowered the Snape is good camp when <laughs> Order of the Phoenix uh, was published. Maybe or maybe not, because we know that he, Snape eventually does stop teaching Harry. Um, he refuses to teach him after the umpteenth outburst. Mm-hmm. But it is a shame that the two of these were never meant to see eye to eye, right? Like Snape is there telling him, empty your emotions, and Harry in return glares at him. Um, it just was never really meant to work out, unfortunately. Right. But I, it's it's thrilling to see the master at work. I've I've often wondered too if that was part of Dumbledore's intention to try and at least calm the waters between these two and, and bring them into a setting where Basically, Snape is teaching Harry how to survive, and Harry just does not want to really hear any of it. He's the typical angsty teenager here. Um, But Snape also throws some more information Harry's way, and and it reminded me a lot of Hermione uh, when he's talking about Voldemort being really able to penetrate Hogwarts and, and get inside and be able to like transport Harry from Hogwarts to the Ministry. And he says that the Dark Lord is at a considerable distance, and the walls and grounds of Hogwarts are guarded by many ancient spells and charms to ensure the bodily and mental safety of those who dwell within them. Time and space matter in magic, Potter. Eye contact is often essential to legitimacy. And this just, to me, speaks to Harry's inattention to detail. This is why Snape comes up with remedial potions. It reminds me, like I said, of Hermione, you know, talking so often about how you can't apparate within Hogwarts. Um, Well, that's all fine, but Harry still did see through the snake. So he has reason to ask this question to Snape. But I think Snape is telling him to be practical. And I know that's hard given what Harry has experienced. And again, he's only 15 years old, but he's saying, you know, be a little bit more nuanced (laughs) open-minded yeah exactly um i think reason right it's about understanding what's happening and harry just doesn't want to pay attention to detail Mm -hmm. it is such a shame because lupin again with a different teaching style a slightly different approach harry is no less traumatized by having to uh see or hear his his parents death um when he sees and, and hears a dementor but he has the motivation to get better because he's got Lupin who genuinely cares about his past. And and I guess with Harry, it's all a violation to Harry when Snape is able to see uh, even the dog chasing him up the tree. He it's these are still memories that feel stolen. These are still moments that Snape really shouldn't have access to. And I think Harry bristles at the very idea that 
something a little bit more private that he cares about, like him and Cho, would be seen so clearly by this spectator, yeah. by this person. He it seems like Snape really likes Aunt Marge. <laughs> Or really, or really likes Ripper, one of the two. That like, was that was kind of weird that Snape asked that. Well, it just it shows what he's seeing. Like it's super clear. Like, oh my god, Snape saw a dog. Like, yeah. It. It's but so, why does Snape care? He just he's making conversation. He, I think he's being a good teacher in that moment. He's like, yeah, I saw it all. I saw flashes of it. Who's the dog? Mm-hmm. Um, you and know, who's it, the girl? <laughs> who's the lady? Yeah. <laughs> that that's also another connecting the threads to. Prisoner of Azkaban. So wanted to talk a little bit about what does Voldemort know about Harry at this point? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question because Snape tells Harry that up until now, Voldemort was unaware of this particular connection. But now I'm thinking the only way that this connection can exist, especially given that Voldemort was possessing Nagini and Harry saw into his mind when he was possessing Nagini. Nagini, who is a known Horcrux of Voldemort's, I have no choice but to believe that Voldemort should at this point know that Harry himself is a Horcrux. Unintended, maybe, but it's the same magic at play here. And I think that it's it should be very obvious to Voldemort right now. What do you guys think? I think Voldemort has too much hubris to believe in this, to believe that he unintentionally created a Horcrux. I agree with that. He couldn't have made a mistake. There's no way. Well, and his plan it has come together exactly as he intended. Harry's not a Horcrux. But he, but didn't Voldemort, I mean, talking about what J.K. Rowling has said afterwards, didn't Voldemort go to uh, Godric's Hollow that night with the intention of killing this this child that was prophesied and making a Horcrux out of him. He had already done the prep work uh, of whatever that entails to make Harry a Horcrux, which is why when it backfired and Harry ends up inadvertently becoming a Horcrux, why is anybody surprised by this? Mm. At least I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with what Laura said because... Voldemort continues to try and kill Harry. He doesn't back off of it. And and if that were the mm. case and he knew Harry was a Horcrux, he doesn't need to go after him. He doesn't need to touch him. Right. As long as Harry lives, he lives. So it, it everything that happens in the Forbidden Forest and Deathly Hallows it didn't even need to happen, right? He, why why yeah. hit him with Avada Kedavra? It destroyed the Horcrux. So... Yeah, yeah. I just think right now Voldemort is still very much in search of answers. He he clearly is taking full advantage of the fact that they're connected, but I don't necessarily know if he realizes that they're connected via this Horcrux. It may just be other magic, or it could even be the prophecy. Right? That's why he's after the prophecy in this book. He wants to better understand what Harry means to him. Mm-hmm. Good point. You could say it was a flaw in the plan. (laughs) (laughs) You could say that if it were Harry's birthday right now, it would be the worst birthday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Laura, you had a great point here about maybe Voldemort's just hoping to possess Harry. Yeah. um, At this point in the story, Harry even wonders this, like, am I the weapon? Mm. Um, But I could very much see Voldemort hoping to possess Harry in order to get him to... Because he's so trusted, yeah, 
on the good side of things in order to get him to do like participate in sort of nefarious activities similar to what he did to Ginny Weasley. Mm. If I was Voldemort, I would just be very excited by this connection to Harry so I could always check in on what Harry is doing. Snape holding this lesson with, with Harry was still a huge risk. Right. I don't know if Voldemort would be very happy if he saw Snape teaching this, even if Voldemort thinks that Snape is secretly working against Dumbledore. That's a fair point, too. Yeah. I mean, having this connection is like picking up the phone and listening to somebody's conversation. <laughs> Andrew. Yeah. People who do that are definitely mm-hmm. um, dark lords. <laughs> Andrew, the dark lord. <laughs> Don't say my name. <laughs> Don't tweet me and ask me questions about that video game. We talked a little bit earlier, though, about how this is really the equivalent of putting a novice boxer in the ring against a pro. Mm. And what I don't really think Snape or Dumbledore, particularly Dumbledore considered, was the effect this was going to have on Harry after each lesson, right? It, yeah, his poor brain. It, like, think about what Lupin did. Lupin provided Harry with chocolate, right? Every time mm-hmm. they had these lessons. Snape, because it's very similar to Prisoner of Azkaban, right? Harry would be drained after fighting the Dementor. Mm-hmm. He's drained after th- this... this yep encounter with snape and snape doesn't do anything like snape probably ha- could whip up a cocktail potion for him Ooh. he'd be feeling really good afterwards and he chooses not to i wonder if dumbledore instructed snape to do this and snape just chose not to yeah i guess you could say that oh you're saying dumbledore instructed him to give him some sort of cocktail after like a pick me up potion uh, I, yeah fortitude, yeah. mental fortitude Maybe, or Dumbledore could have said, don't do that and let Harry Harry feel the effects of this so he's more prepared. I know, let Harry suffer. Let Harry suffer more. Snape should have at least given him like a a head massage. That could have been a little helpful. (laughs) You know when you're getting your hair cut and and they wash your hair for you and then they give you like a head massage while they they wash your hair? That's what Snape should have done for Harry. (laughs) Can you imagine walking in on that scene and being like, oh... Okay. <laughs> but so I have a question here. Um, should Dumbledore have anticipated this and stated that Harry needed to like spend the night in the hospital wing for observation or something yes. along those lines? Yeah. You have to think that if Dumbledore did stipulate something, Snape would have followed through with it. He would not listen to Dumbledore, right? Right, right. I, I think there's a line there, but... I, Dumbledore still thinks he can treat Harry like uh, the, the, any other teenager and let him in the general population of other students, right? I mean, yeah. if if Dumbledore ever tried to isolate Harry even further than he's already isolated him by not talking with him, Harry yeah. would flip. Yeah, totally. I think that it's uh, it's just oversight on the part of Dumbledore. We We see at the end of this chapter just how like pale Harry is. It's noted by all of his friends. He can't even do his homework. He tries to get up to bed and like passes out on the staircase. Again, like think about something, some sort of physical activity that you do for the first time and you're, and, and you get tasked with it three times over. And, you know, like, like I said, boxing, like you get your head knocked off and you know that you're not going to go and like get proper treatment afterwards it's just yeah it's really cruel i I put more of the blame on dumbledore than i do on snape you know for not thinking through this particular situation 
Um, so we're, we're almost at the end of the chapter here. Just a couple more things to touch on. Um, Andrew, I think you had in here Snape asking Harry not to say Voldemort's name. Why? Yeah. Well, why? And Snape rubs his arm where his mm-hmm. uh, dark mark is. And I'm wondering, was Snape afraid that this was going to alert Voldemort mm. to their Possibly. meeting? Possibly. He'd be able to check in on Harry and then see Snape and be like, WTF? Yeah, that's a great point. What are you doing with Harry? Giving him a scout massage. <laughs> <laughs> Just giving him a <laughs> massage. <laughs> Any ideas for why he rubbed his arm? Did it did it hurt to hear Voldemort's name? I think it, I think it does. I think that there might be a part of Snape that really ag- actually hates being a Death Eater. And, and mm, Snape is... Snape is very much, I think, not to overuse the word, but but triggered, right, by by Voldemort, and and he also when when Harry asks why not Dumbledore says the name, Snape is like, but Dumbledore is like the best wizard that ever lived. <laughs> so because I love him, because I made a deal with him, he can do whatever he wants. A, you're just a piss ant fifteen year old. Like you yeah. can't you can't say his name. Like don't like does Snape hate Harry's courage? That's a great question. That's a good question. I think Snape hates everything that he sees that reminds him of James. Mm. Yeah. Right. Courage probably yeah, included. I, I, yeah. I do think there's a part of Snape that really dislikes Voldemort, particularly for what he did to Lily. And I, I also just think there's this inherent fear amongst everyone in saying Voldemort's name. It surprises me that Snape is one of those people. But yeah, I, I do think there's something to the fact that you just raised Andrew about Harry having this courage that that Snape. I, I also just think it's like it's like a kid thing in some way, right? Like kids, a lot of times they just don't have that same kind of fear. It it, it just rolls off them. There's yeah. there's a lack of understanding, and so the fear isn't as real. I would agree with that, but obviously the kids in Hogwarts don't like saying his name. But they were raised that way. Harry wasn't raised that way. Mm. Harry didn't even know about Voldemort until his 11th birthday. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think also, you know, Snape for a very long time was a legitimate Death Eater. And now he's having to play the part of one. Death Eaters also don't say Voldemort's name. They call him the Dark Lord. And this could just be a conditioning thing on that side of the war as well. Totally. Yeah. The chapter wraps up in Harry having a full mental breakdown after his sessions with Snape. And uh, Voldemort is extremely, extremely happy. And Harry's scar is burning at a level that we probably haven't seen before. It's it, it's completely debilitating him, and I know we're going to find out probably in the next chapter why Voldemort is so happy. But it's very scary for Harry, and and you know, this is probably happening at this level because his defenses are so low because of everything he's just been through, and he's not sure how to respond to it. And because his defenses are so low, he's laughing. He's smiling, right? Yeah. yeah, Voldemort's hysterical laughter is being emitted through Harry. Yeah. And I really wish this was something we saw in the movie. Did Snape and Dumbledore anticipate this? No. I in the don't movie think so. it's because of the mass breakout from Azkaban. Is that what's coming in the book too? Yeah. 
literally the next chapter. Yep. Yeah, got yep. it. The very. I didn't read ahead. Yeah, so. you should yeah. cheat and flip ahead um, from time to time. It's no, it no, can no, be no. Helpful. it's helpful. <laughs> no, no, but in terms of, uh, but Harry being possessed, Laura, like what you said, like I think they do enough of that towards the end of the ministry, like Harry looking very deathly yeah. sick. I just I feel like this was such a good scene that really set that up. And in the movie, it was sort of like, oh, Harry looks sick and he's talking, but Voldemort's voice is coming out of his mouth. Yeah. You know? Right. When you read that part about Harry just giving the Voldemort laugh, I think of that really awful smile that Voldemort gives during the Deathly Hallows movie. I would not want to see Harry (laughs) grin and smile and laugh like that. That would freak me out. When he hugs Draco. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Draco. (laughs) Being too scary. So crazy. (laughs) One other thing... um, I wanted to call out, which is very small and and unrelated to any of this, but uh, when Harry gets back to the Gryffindor common room, um, the the Weasley twins are at it again with their uh, what are to become uh, Weasley's Wizard Weezes products. Mm -hmm. And Hermione notes the fact of how smart they must be to be able to get some of these things to work. Yeah. And... um, Fred, actually, I forget what the name of it is. It's some sort of invisibility hat, right? Or does yes. anybody remember? But Well, that's I what it thought, does. But. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that Fred is the one who's demonstrating it and his head disappears. And we all know what happens to Fred in Deathly Hallows. Another mm. oh. uh foreshadowing on the part of J.K. Rowling. Does he get hit in the head in Deathly Hallows? Mm. Well, no, he just makes his head disappear. No, no, I mean... No, no, no. Oh, no. He, I mean, I don't know exactly what happens to him. I, oh. We just know that he's killed. They're called, they're called headless hats. Headless hats. There you go. But anyway, uh, that, that wraps up the chapter, and it was a pretty intense one. Yeah, A lot of stuff sure. happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's other elements I'd like to talk about later on. Like, this doesn't really relate to Occlumency exactly, but... Snape removing those memories from his head, like, can he no longer think about them when you remove them? I wonder about Mm. things like that. I was wondering while reading this chapter, but we could talk about that later. Yeah. Before we check in on the Umbridge suck count, I want to tell you about our second sponsor this week, and their timing could not be any better. They are open fit. Last time I told you about them, gyms were still open, but people were weary about going outside. Now gyms and everything else is closed. OpenFit is what you need right now to stay fit and help manage your mental health. OpenFit takes all the complexity out of losing weight and getting fit. It's a new fitness streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. OpenFit offers 350 brand new live workouts every week. You can choose from bar and Pilates classes, cardio, strength training, yoga, even guided walking and running sessions. All you need is their app. And best of all, OpenFit is affordable and accessible. Some places only sell classes as a package and often you can't make it to every class. OpenFit brings those classes to you anytime, anywhere, and again, this is what everyone needs right now. You can't go to the gym, you really shouldn't leave the house either, so what you can do to stay fit is sign up for OpenFit. And you get what you put in. You can see results within the first 30 days. Do you just want to increase your energy, put a pep in your step, and overall feel better inside? We can all use that right now. And no matter your goals, OpenFit can help. And once quarantine is over, you're going to still love using OpenFit because the fact that you can load it up anywhere and anytime means you can easily fit a workout into your day. 
OpenFit has changed the way I work out, and by texting our code MuggleCast to 505050, you can join me on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Right now, during the OpenFit 14-Day Challenge, our listeners get a special extended 14-day free trial membership to OpenFit when you text MuggleCast to 505050. You will get full access to OpenFit, all the workouts and nutrition information, totally free. Again, just text MuggleCast to 505050. Please note that standard message and data rates may apply. Take a moment to sign up. I've been addicted to working out since I was in college because I discovered that it puts me in a better mood. This is what you will get out of OpenFit. It's time for the Umbridge Suck Counts. First one up is giving the students a ream of homework when they get back to Hogwarts. Come on, professor. Let them ease into the new term. Yeah. It's the only time Umbridge is mentioned in this chapter is that she gave them a ream of homework. Laura, you disagree? Uh, No, I think that that's actually not a great practice. Oh. For the beginning of a term. Oh, so you agree she sucks for it? Yes, I I do agree. Okay. So, okay, so what's the wisdom behind not like, because I I think where Umbridge or any teacher, because I've had teachers that do this too, they want you to be like, okay, your break is over, like bring your mind back and they give you a huge assignment to like refire all the neurons. You're saying that's not a good practice? I, I never agreed when I was teaching. Not to say that you shouldn't give people homework, but, you know, you can ease people in. Yeah, look, there are levels of sucking, right? I mean, it, it, we can't be discriminatory here. Like, you can suck for giving a lot of homework, and you can suck for educational decrees and for physically abusing people, right? Uh, all which Umbridge does. I mean, it's just a matter of perspective, but I think they're all reasons for her to suck. How about mm-hmm. this other one? Agreed. Um, I said for causing Harry to have to say he's taking remedial potions, he has to say this. Just so that she will not catch on to what he's doing. And now he's the laughing stock of the school. Yep. He sucks so much at potions. He's got to take extra potion lessons. <laughs> who was it? Ernie McMillan? Who was an oh, asshat was, to him? I thought or it Justin? was Zacharias. Oh, him too. Yeah. 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 Zacharias Smith. Yeah. All those Hufflepuffs. <laughs> yeah. Y'all are supposed to be nice. What happened? <laughs> Well, yeah. you rub them, you know, they'll cut you if you, if you, <laughs> you, cross you poke them. a badger. And, yeah, it's like the honey badger. And it'll cut you. Yeah. It'll cut you. Cross a badger, it'll cut you. Like a tiger king. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Almost know? made it a full episode. Almost, Almost did it. <laughs> All right. Now it's time for connecting the threads. I wanted to kick this off with a thread that is not specific to this chapter, but just something that is a generic connection between. Prisoner of Azkaban and Order of the Phoenix that I just noticed when I was paging through the end of Prisoner of Azkaban while preparing for this. After Buckbeak escapes and Sirius also escapes, Percy Weasley is outraged. And he's in the Great Hall telling his girlfriend, Penelope Clearwater, if I manage to get into the ministry, I'll have a lot of proposals to make about magical law enforcement. And we see in this book and even more so in the next book, that he is living up to these earlier promises. So actually, this is another example of why like, we shouldn't really be surprised about Percy ending up where he's ended up. This foreshadowing has been going on for quite a while. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah. Then, of course, there are a lot of connections to make with the night bus. And we'll start with Madame Marsh. Um, so we know in Order of the Phoenix, they let her off before dropping the trio and uh, the rest of the Weasley siblings at Hogwarts because Madame Marsh was sick. She just wasn't feeling her best. Well, she was actually in pr- Prisoner of Azkaban as well. Um, Ern says, Besco, wake up. Madame Marsh, Stan, will be in Abigavani in a minute. So she apparently rides the night bus a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Frequent user. Give me more bumps. Give me more sudden stops. But also, I'm like, if it's emergency transport for the stranded or lost wizard, what's she doing? Yeah, right. (laughs) She just likes, she's a regular, well, I guess that's true. Then she's not technically a commuter, right? Unless she's taking it to work every day or something. She's Yeah, but I looked up Abigail and I... I hope I'm saying this correctly. It's in Wales. Huh. So that's that's quite a commute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just saying she's a freeloader, huh? <laughs> I mean, she's paying her 11 sickles just like everyone else, <laughs> presumably. Um, and then we have this nice little connection with Stan uh, and sort of his acceptance of what the Daily Prophet uh, publishes. So in Prisoner of Azkaban, he's talking about Sirius Black and saying like, because he's mad, isn't he, Ern? Isn't he mad? And then in Order of the Phoenix, talking about Harry and how Harry has been portrayed in the Daily Prophet. He says, I said to Ern, I said, he didn't seem like another when we met him. Just goes to show, doesn't it? And I thought this was a really interesting comparison between uh, the ways that Harry and Sirius are perceived in the wizarding world between these two books. Then Sirius has these secret gifts that he's giving Harry in Prisoner of Azkaban. It's the Firebolts. And in Order of the Phoenix, it's the two-way mirror. Both of which, well, both of which would come in handy. Yeah. <laughs> were they right. both used? Yeah. I made my own Firebolt as a kid. I used to love the Firebolt. Did you? Like a class project. I don't know what the, the prompt was, but I decided to make a Firebolt for that assignment. And I spray painted it gold and I had a carrying case for it. It rocked. Oh, man. Yeah. I wish I still did had you, that. Did you run around with it? Like, did you? Of course it? I did. Yeah. And I made it vibrate. <laughs> I did everything. <laughs> you still do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Time for MVP of the week. I'm going to give mine to Sirius for that two-way mirror Laura just mentioned, since it comes in handy later. I'm going to give mine to Snape for telling Harry amazingly useful things, if only he'd listen to them all. Mine goes to Mr. Weasley for uh, effectively breaking up that skirmish between Sirius and Snape. Mine goes to Hermione for naturally filling a role that Dumbledore and Snape should have foreseen a need for by asking Ron to go and check on Harry after he goes up to his dormitory. And now let's rename the chapter, Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 24. Relax, bitch! (laughs) Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 24. I'm a legilimens, not a mind reader. (laughs) Well, that sets up mine. Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 24. You read my mind. Oh. And mine is Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 24, Worst Meditation Class Ever. 
If you have any feedback about today's discussion or you have a question about chapter 25, send it on in to mugglecast at gmail.com or use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can also record a voice memo and send that to mugglecast at gmail.com. By the way, we're not done discussing this chapter yet. In bonus MuggleCast today, which is available over at patreon.com slash MuggleCast, we will discuss why occlumency, why legitimacy is not mind reading. Right, Eric? That's right. We're going even deeper in depth into what Snape is talking about, other examples that we've seen, whether Dumbledore, Voldemort, reading minds, all that stuff. Deep dive over in bonus MuggleCast. And J.K. Rowling actually addressed why what Queenie is doing is different than what Snape was saying is not possible. We'll we'll try to um, parse that and, and figure out what that tweet really meant from J.K. Rowling a few years ago. <laughs> cool. It's time for Quizzage. Last week's question, who teases Harry first about taking remedial potions... The answer was, of course, who else? That Hufflepuff, Zacharias Smith. Ugh. Anyway, correct answers were submitted by Caleb, Samwise Potter Skywalker, Sarah, a.k.a. Weensy, Magus, Stacey Z, Count Ravioli, William Walton, and Jenny Bees. Always good to see Count Ravioli there. Always good. <laughs> Next week's question... What does Hagrid instruct Harry to put on the salamanders of Hogwarts? Hmm. Send in your answers to us over on Twitter at MuggleCast, hashtag Quizich. Another salamander appearance. J.K. Rowling loves those salamanders. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. By following us, you will stay up to date on the latest developments concerning MuggleCast, and you'll probably be one of the first to hear about our next round of Quizich Live. So again, that's username MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And again, we would love your support on Patreon, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We really appreciate your support. It keeps the show running, rocking and rolling, and we're able to invest in really cool things like this whole trivia system that we have for Quizage Live. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who is pledging. You get lots of benefits like bonus MuggleCast. You'll be able to sit in on our recordings. We live stream every episode as we are recording it, and you can tune in on Saturday or Sunday morning, and you will get a personalized thank you message from one of the four MuggleCasters. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. Bye.